Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Genesis. Tonight is study number 5 of Genesis chapter 1. We're going to be reading the first five verses. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. I'll stop reading there. Now, before we continue with our study in Genesis 1, verse 2, I want uh, to um, just mention a correction um, to something I said in a previous study. I said that Genesis 1, 1's reference to heaven, singular, was correct. That's not true. That's that's not correct in itself. The Hebrew word translated as heaven singular in Genesis 1 verse 1, God created the heaven and the earth is actually a plural word. And more than that, um, I checked out many references to singular words of this Hebrew word, where it's translated singular. And everywhere I looked, I looked in Deuteronomy and Job and Isaiah, etc., and also uh, other places in Genesis, when this Hebrew word translated as heaven, singular, which is Strong's number 8064, um, wherever it's translated in the singular, it's actually a plural word in the Hebrew text. And uh, let me just give you an example. In Genesis 2, verse 1, it says, Thus the heavens, plural, and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. Well, the here the translators got it right. They translated the identical word in, in um, letter for letter, to Genesis 1-1, but here they translate it as it should be in the plural. And it's identical to Genesis 1-1, so it ought to read, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And uh, when we get to verse 8 of Genesis 1, and God called the firmament heaven, singular. Well, uh, that should be plural too. God called the firmament heavens. And it's something for us to keep in mind, and I'm going to make sure I make corrections um, in in my notes. Apparently, uh, this is very common, and it's a common error for the translators. We, we are never authorized to change 
a plural word to a singular. Remember, that was the mistake that um, the translators made in the Gospel of Matthew with the word for Sabbaths when they translate it as the singular week or the singular Sabbath. And, and they should have translated it in the plural. If God writes a plural word, it, it should be translated in the plural. So it's something for us to uh, keep in mind. And I, I would like to thank a listener who brought this to my attention. Um, it uh, is an important thing for us to make sure that we're understanding these words correctly. And, um, well, all right, uh, that's just something to note. Okay, let's go on to verse 2 of Genesis 1. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Now, we were looking at this in our last study. We saw that the two Hebrew words translated, um, number 1, Without form, Strong's number 8414, and void, the second word, Strong's number 922, are only found together three times. Actually, the word void, 922, is only found three times in the whole Old Testament. And in each place it's found, the other Hebrew word, 8414, is in the context. And, and so, by using these same two words only three times in the whole Old Testament, God is tying the verses together. And when we look at the verses, we, we saw Jeremiah 4 verse 23 is set in the context of the judgment upon Judah which in turn spiritually points to the judgment on the churches at the time of the end. And Isaiah 34, verse 11, is set in the context of the judgment on the world. And uh, and and so it's just interesting, and we wonder why does God tie these, these three verses together um, why does God tie the Great Tribulation with Genesis 1, verse 2, uh, in, in the beginning of the creation, when all was without form and void? Why does God tie the judgment on the world, the day of Jehovah's wrath, as we find recorded in Isaiah 34, with the same event, the beginning of the creation? And, and God is the one tying these things together. And not me or, or not, uh, e-Bible. And, and by the way, you know, some people have mentioned and, and they, they probably have good intentions. I'm sure, I'm sure they do. Why don't we look at other topics? Why are we always talking about judgment on the church or judgment on the world? About the end? Why don't we talk of other things? And, and, and we have done that, haven't we? As we've gone to Genesis, um, the first chapter, first verse, and, and we're looking at each word. And, and so we were talking of creation. But now we come to verse two. 
And when we look up the words, which is what we're supposed to do, what anyone reading the Bible is supposed to do, what any Bible student is supposed to do, and we look up the the words without form and void, and where are we taken? Are we taken to uh, passages that, that speak of God's love and, and his wonderful plan? For the child of God and of good and happy things? No, no. Following the scripture, as we compare scripture with scripture, we're directed to Jeremiah 4 in the midst of a chapter where God is pointing out his people um, know nothing, they're foolish, sottish children, and, and his wrath is upon them. And then we're directed into the midst of another chapter in Isaiah 34 where he's speaking of the host of heaven being dissolved and the heavens rolled together as a scroll and their host shall fall down as a leaf falleth from the vine and as a falling fig from the fig tree and and so forth. And you see, uh, it's it's fine. It's fine to say, well, we want to talk about other things. But now let, we're all in this position together as we study the Bible. What are we to do? What are we to do um, when the Bible, I mean, here, here we are minding our own business, so to speak, just going along in a part of the Bible you would think had nothing to do with the end. It's the beginning, even though God does say he declares the end from the beginning. And we're minding our own business, uh, speaking of creation, and that's an acceptable topic with the church and and uh, and others. Nobody gets upset if you're talking about creation. That doesn't disturb them. And as we're doing so, it doesn't take very long at all. And, oh, this word void, it's only found, and, and without form, these two words are only found, Jeremiah 4, in Isaiah 34, are we to ignore it? Uh, what are we to do? It, it It is the Bible's leading, the Bible's direction, and leading us into a discussion of end time matters. And, and well, uh, if you're going to be honest, uh, an honest studier of the Bible, you have to follow where the words lead. And and so let's go to Isaiah 34. In Isaiah 34, again, um, I mentioned verse 4, the host of heaven is dissolved. Verse 8 says, For it is the day of Jehovah's vengeance and the year of recompenses for the controversy of Zion. And the streams thereof shall be turned into pitch and the dust thereof into brimstone. And the land thereof shall become burning pitch. It shall not be quenched night nor day. The smoke thereof shall go up forever. From generation to generation it shall lie waste. None shall pass through it forever and ever. And then verse 11. But the Camorrant and the Bittern shall possess it. The owl also and the raven shall dwell in it. And he shall stretch out upon it the line of confusion and the stones of emptiness. 
So we have these unclean birds mentioned, and uh, and uh, there's four of them pointing to a universal aspect of the judgment that's in view. And uh, God has made the world waste, and he accomplishes that the moment the Holy Spirit departs from saving anyone in the world. And, and and then it says, He shall stretch out upon it the line of confusion and the stones of emptiness. And we mentioned this last time. The word confusion is 8414, the Hebrew word translated without form. And the word emptiness is 922, the word translated as void in Genesis 1, verse 2. Therefore, it, this verse could read, he shall stretch out upon it the line, which is, uh, to make it understandable, I'm adding the word uh, which, the, the, the line uh, which is without form, and the stones of void. And, and we wonder, what is God saying? And why is he speaking of stretching out a line upon the earth? Because, remember going back to the first couple of verses, um, God said, Come near ye nations, hearken ye people, let the earth hear. That's who the line is being stretched out without form. And that also relates to Genesis 1, verse 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form. Well, here he is stretching out a line upon it, the earth, the, the, the line without form, and the stones of emptiness. Now, when we look up stones, we find that this word is related to the weight of a bag or the the weight in measurement, a just weight, is the word stone. It's number 68 in Strong's Concordance. And and uh, it's also the word when Moses went up into the mount and God wrote with his finger the, the Ten Commandments on tables of stone. There's many scriptures that point to the word stone um, tying in with the commandments of God or the word of God, the, the Bible itself. Even when God commanded um, certain sins, the penalty was stoning. Well, that also relates to the judgment of the word of God, as the stones represent the commandments of God, and it is the breaking of the commandments that brings about the death of the sinner. Therefore, Someone caught in adultery, let them be stoned to death. That is, the condemnation of the word of God or the law of God is what destroys that person. So we can see the stones of void relates, the word stones relates to the word of God. But also the line of confusion. Let's look at a few places where the word line is used, starting with Job 38, and this is uh, in the setting of creation, Job 38, verse 1. Then Jehovah answered Job out of the whirlwind, and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? God there could be speaking to all the modern 
um, scientific thought that that claims to know how the earth began, how the universe began with the Big Bang, how man began through evolution, and when it began billions of years ago. Really, they're darkening counsel by words without knowledge. They they have no understanding. They're not a million miles away from truth. They're billions of miles away from truth. They they uh, are speaking foolishly, as the foolish people speak, and foolish people speak words without knowledge. Well, it goes on to say, Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee, and answer thou me. Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. And again, God could speak to any human being. And, and even human beings of long ago. Where were you when he laid the foundations of the earth? Where were you and where was I? When God said in Genesis 1 verse 1, in, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Where were we? Well, we did not exist. It, we um, had not come along. And, and it was only God, the triune God in the beginning. And his wisdom and his knowledge, he created all things. Man had nothing to do with it. Man knows nothing about it of ourselves and uh, so God is is pointing that out. Where were you? Uh, declare if thou hast understanding. And then in verse 5, Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Or who has stretched the line upon it? There it is. That idea of stretching the line upon the, the creation. Who has stretched out the line upon it? And... And measured it in a sense, or has knowledge concerning its dimensions. And even today, uh, with the greatest of um, telescopes or or the sending forth of spacecraft uh, into the universe or in, into uh, distant uh, planets like Mars, and and from there they try to look even further out. Man cannot measure. The universe, he doesn't know where it ends. It, whenever we look, it just gets deeper and deeper. And, and, and so no one can measure these things. No one has stretched out a line upon it except God. It says in Psalm 19, Psalm 19, verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Then in verse 4, their line is gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun. And that's interesting, isn't it? That God has created the whole heavens and, and all those stars and he stretched it forth like a tent. We read in Isaiah chapter 40. Um, he, he stretches out the heavens as a curtain and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in. And here God says, he set them as a tabernacle, and a tabernacle is a tent for the sun, as the sun would picture God. It, it's like the whole expanse, the, the whole um, wide, 
great universe that's out there is nothing more than a tent for God to dwell in. And, and the sun as it, it sets in, in the sky above, in the heavens above is a picture of God dwelling in his tent. And, uh, and there also are all the stars. And, and that's, uh, what God says of the new heaven and new earth, that he will dwell with his people. And he likens all the elect to the stars of the heavens. Well, again, the line goes through all the earth. In Isaiah 28, God uh, directly relates this word line to the word of God. In Isaiah 28, verse 9. Whom shall he teach knowledge, and whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk, and drawn from the breast. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, and there a little. And that's speaking of the word of God, the statutes, the precepts of the Bible. And then in verse... Uh, 17 of Isaiah 28, judgment also will I lay to the line and righteousness to the plummet. Judgment is laid to the line. And that's how we learn about God's judgment through the scriptures. Line upon line, he reveals that he has um, brought judgment on the churches and congregations after almost 2,000 years. And line upon line, God reveals the judgment that is upon the world that began on May 21, 2011, 7,000 years from the flood. Now, let's also look at Lamentations chapter 2. Lamentations 2 and verse 8 says, Jehovah hath purposed to destroy the wall of the daughter of Zion. And and the daughter of Zion in this context is a reference to the corporate church. And the wall would be the wall they're building that doesn't have a proper foundation. It, it doesn't use the, the proper mortar. Uh, and so it, it's a mess of a wall. It's not that wall of salvation that God has built that uh, Nehemiah is a picture of. But it's the wall that the church has been involved with. And and God purposed to destroy the wall of the daughter of Zion. He has stretched out a line. He has not withdrawn his hand from destroying. Therefore, he made the rampart and the wall to lament. They languished together. So again, judgment laid to the line. God is uh, destroying the wall of Zion. And he has, in our time, destroyed any idea that there's salvation within the churches. Their wall is completely rubble. It's gone. And and God's elect realize that because Jehovah laid the line of judgment to it. Well, let's, let's take a look at 2 Kings, and I think this will help us with Isaiah 34 in Second Kings 21, beginning in verse 10. 
And Jehovah spake by his servants the prophets, saying, Because Manasseh, king of Judah, hath done these abominations, and has done wickedly above all that the Amorites did, which were before him, and hath made Judah also to sin with his idols. Therefore thus saith Jehovah God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such evil upon Jerusalem and Judah, that whosoever heareth of it, both his ears shall tingle. And I will stretch over Jerusalem the line of Samaria and the plummet of the house of Ahab, and I will wipe Jerusalem as a man wipeth a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. Now notice the first part of Second Kings 21, verse 13. Again, it says, And I will stretch over Jerusalem the line of Samaria and the plummet of the house of Ahab. What is God saying? Well, he's speaking of bringing judgment on Judah. But he's already brought judgment on Samaria, or uh, which is Israel in the north. He judged them through the Assyrians. Now he's going to judge Judah by the Babylonians. But, but he's making reference to a line, or stretching the line, of Samaria over Jerusalem. And basically, it means to bring a similar judgment upon Judah that first came on Samaria. Now, if we, we take that idea and we go back to Isaiah 34 verse 11, and he shall stretch out upon it the earth is uh, who that's referencing the line which is without form and the stones of void. That is that, that God in his wrath and his judgment has returned the earth to a former condition that was only in view at the very beginning when God first created it. And, and that was a time when the substance was there, the material was there, but it was a time of darkness, uh, as we read in Genesis 1-2. It was a time when waters were not yet separated, that God did not separate waters above from waters below. He did not um, corral the waters into the seas and set their bounds that they could not pass as yet. No, the waters are everywhere. The darkness is everywhere. In the beginning, when God first made the earth, and and that's what he's doing here. It, it, let, let's say it uh, another way. God's judgment upon sin in the day of his wrath has placed the world in a position of its original creation. Well, okay, we can see that through the language without form and void. And God's the one who ties Genesis 1-2 together with these two other verses in the setting of, of judgment on the church and then judgment on the world. But why? What reason could God have for doing this? Why does he speak of judgment day as a time of restoration to a position of original creation. Well, 
What follows Judgment Day? What follows the day of God's wrath? The answer is a new heaven and a new earth, a new creation. Therefore, the judgment of God places the earth back into a position to be operated on historically from this point in Genesis 1-2, God would work with that substance for six days to create. And now in Judgment Day, God is also spiritually, he has restored the world to its original form in order to work for an unspecified period of time. At this point, we'd have to say to create the new heaven and the new earth. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over PalTalk, Skype, eBible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone. For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.